You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Welcome to the Christmas Faith and Family series, uh, What Christmas is All About. This is part one today, and uh, we were going to talk about God pursuing us, but I think we'll probably just break down the merits of Alabama's resume versus Ohio State's, <laughs> and um, hopefully we can come to a consensus on that. Um, but no, seriously, we're, we're here to, uh, Cameron put this together, um, and this is a rare time of year where the culture, I think, actually supports um, promotes conversations with your children about Jesus. They're curious. Uh, they're spiritually hungry in a way that normally they may not be. And so what Cameron wanted to do putting this together um, was to um, uh, just try to hopefully arm you all with some uh, information that you can maybe use to have conversations with your children about the true meaning of Christmas uh, this time of year. Part one is going to be about how God pursues us, the directionality of Christmas. Uh, next week, Cameron Cole is going to talk about uh, the way of weakness is the way to Christianity. And then Oscar Price is going to finish it in a couple weeks about... Um, Oscar, what are you talking about? God keeps his promises. About how God keeps his promises. So, I'll go ahead and get started. And I want to start with this diagram. And if you remember nothing else from this class, this is what I'd like you to remember. Um, right here we have Earth, we have God, we can see that clearly, and we have these arrows. And the way of every other world religion besides Christianity, and even the way a lot of churches preach the gospel, is that it's us coming up to God. The arrow points upward. And, you know, so if you're a religious person, that means pray, uh, be a good person, um, be righteous, be on the, you know, be on the church council, whatever it may be. Um, if you're another religion, it's Find your inner peace. Find it within you. Here's a guidebook. Do these things and you'll capture that, that inner peace. You'll have a connection with God. And Christianity flips that upside down. Christianity says that no, um, God comes down to us uh, as broken sinners. Um, there's nothing we can do to earn our own salvation. God came down to us. And so I want to just remember, uh, uh, pretty good PowerPoint skills there. Just. <laughs> That was an animation, by the way, uh, and it took a long time. Uh, when, when Auburn plays in the SEC championship game, I do things like this on Saturday afternoon. Um, but I, wonder, I want to just remember, and this is so easy to draw down and show your kid, especially if you have a child who's in you know, elementary school or older, you can draw this on the back of a napkin and talk to them about it. Um, I'm going to use, uh, today I'm going to rely on a lot of scripture. I also, I read a book by Tim Keller called Hidden Christmas that I would commend to you. It's a really short read, uh, very easy, uh, does a really good job. But I, uh, I'm going to read uh, a passage from Tim Keller's book right now about this. He says, The birth of the Son of God into the world is a gospel. It's good news. It's an announcement. You don't save yourself. God has come to save you. I would argue that other religions and many churches, when they talk about salvation, understand it and proclaim it as advice. Salvation is something you have to wrestle for and struggle for. You have to perform. It comes only if you pray, obey, or transform your consciousness. But the Christian gospel is different. The founders of the great religion say, in one way or another, I am here to show you the way to spiritual reality. 
do all this. That's advice. Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, comes and says, I am spiritual reality itself. You could never come up to me, therefore I had to come down to you. Um, God knows we could never climb up to him, so he has to come down to us. He had to come and do uh, himself what we couldn't do, and I love this line. He doesn't send someone. He doesn't send a committee report or a preacher to tell you how to save yourself. He comes to fetch us. Um, and so right now I kind of want to walk through the how and why God comes down at Christmas. Um, and I'll start at the beginning. I'll start in Genesis. Um, what's the first thing that God did after the first sin that was ever committed here on planet Earth? What's the first thing God did? Yeah, exactly. He comes down. He comes down to Adam and Eve. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't uh, stay away from them. He doesn't keep distant. He comes right down to them, and they run from him. And what does he do when they when they hide from him? He pursues them. It's this constant pursuit. He says, "Where are you?" Um, and God, throughout the Old Testament, um, makes it clear that He will pursue us. No matter the limits. If you look at Psalm, uh, if you have your Bibles or your, your cell phones and want to look, Psalm 139, 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I f flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And then it goes on. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's God saying, I knew you. I could see you before you were even a thing. I saw your unformed substance. All of your days, all of our days on earth, all of our children's days, God has seen. He knows. He's always with us. We can't escape his presence. He will pursue us. And that's a, that's a really cool thing to be able to share with your kids this Christmas time is, yeah, God came down for us. He came down to save us. God's always with us. And he's with us because he made you. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Um, and that's, that should be a great comfort you know, for our children to hear that. And it's something, if we start telling them early, um, something that they can keep in their back pocket to know that. And keep on their heart, I should say. Um, and then also, so looking, uh, looking, going ahead uh, to the book of Jonah. Um, if everyone's familiar with the book of Jonah, what did Jonah do when God asked him to go to Nineveh? He ran away. He ran away. What did God do? God, like, all right, I'll see you whenever you decide to come back. He pursued him. He appointed a storm uh, to get Jonah over deck. He appointed a fish to swallow him up. And then this is really cool. Um, so it says that Jonah goes all the way down to Sheol. Does anyone know what Sheol is? Just the place of death. You can't, you know, can't get any better than that. And God goes down, and He gets Jonah, and He pulls him out of Sheol, and which is obviously foreshadowing Christ. 
uh, and it's it's God coming down again to rescue us. Just I want to keep hitting this image of God coming down. Um, and so uh, um, I've got to read some from Ezekiel 34 um, about how God just states His purpose is to come and rescue us. Um, I want another thought I have throughout this as I was preparing is you know. Um, you know, especially if you've got a, a real young little guy or girl, you know, talk about Jesus. This is the great rescue mission. And Fran pulled some cool passages from the storybook Bible. Um, and when you read those with your kids, you can really kind of sell them like this is the greatest adventure ever. And like this is the part where Jesus comes to rescue you. Um, but in Ezekiel 34, and I'm going to kind of bounce around through that. Um, it says, uh, he's speaking to the shepherds of Israel. Uh, these are people who have not been good. Um, they have not been good to their sheep uh, as leaders. And uh, God says, uh, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So this idea of sheep were lost. We're in the thick of the darkness. Uh, no one's here for us. No one on earth's here for us. The people that we thought we could count on, the, the shepherds, have totally let us down. Um, not only have they let us down, they've treated us really poorly. Um, and then God says, for thus says the Lord God, behold. I mean, this is, this is awesome. This is God saying, I'm coming for you. Um, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his, his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Moving along a little. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Um... Anything stick out on that last part about, um, you know, God, what God says he's going to do with his sheep? He says, you know, not only am I going to come get you, but I'm going to be with you. It's him coming down to earth and he says, you know, I will be with you. Um, and then we know in John 10, what does Jesus say he is? He's the good shepherd, right? So he fulfills that prophecy that, that God's going to come down. He's going to rescue his sheep. He's going to be with his sheep. Um, all right, now moving along to Isaiah, um, which um, prophesies the, the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 9, uh, if you're following along. And it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, and so I'm going to borrow from Keller here. Um, he took this passage and he broke it down to three points uh, that I think are easy and accessible for your children. 
And the three points are, number one, we are in darkness. Number two, we can't overcome the darkness ourselves. Number three, Jesus is the light. Uh, so number one, we're in the darkness. Um, you know, in, at the time of Jesus' uh, arrival into the world, they were dealing with the same kind of problems that we are now. Um, and, you know, and now in our lives we see um, evil and suffering in our world. We see racism, we see addiction, we see death, we see cancer, um, depression, lost jobs, um, um, divorces. Um, there's no question that we're in darkness, and I don't think, um, you know, it depends on your age. My kids wouldn't understand. If I told my kids that we were in darkness right now, they, they just wouldn't even comprehend that. Um, but when they get to that age, you know, to share with them that, yes, we are in darkness, uh, to be honest about it uh, and to not hide from that because that's our foundation, right? Um, and then, you know, number two, we can't overcome the, the darkness. And this is back to the, back to the diagram. You know, this view of, of faith would say that, yes, we can overcome the darkness. There's something intrinsically good in all of us. If we just try a little bit harder, if we just have some unity, if we all love one another, um, if we get some positive some positive vibes going, right, um, that we can find this within ourselves, right, and we can find this peace uh, within ourselves, and we can be a light into the world. And no doubt, I mean, you know, people can do great things, but we're never going to find it. Uh, with people, uh, uh, people trying to muster it up within themselves. It's just not there because every man has a sinful heart. Um, and so, um, and then also, this was really interesting to me. Uh, Isaiah, that talks about the light coming, about Jesus coming in Isaiah 9 that I just read. Keller points out then in Isaiah chapter 8, how does that end? Is anybody like a Bible scholar in here who, who could recall that? So at the end of chapter 8, all of the people in, uh, in the book were searching for answers. And they were talking to magicians and mediums. And they were trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's this key to peace? What's this key to joy, to hope, right? How can we, how can we figure out all this heartache in, in, the, in the earth? And so they were looking for that. And Isaiah chapter 8 ends with, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So again, this idea of just darkness, of, of you know, us trying to pull it all together here, and we're just lost. Um, and point number three, though, you know, Jesus is the light. Um, and if you look at, um, if you look closely, chunk my time here. If you look um, uh, at the language of uh, chapter nine. It says that on them a light has shone, right? It's not within, it's on them, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the light that shines, uh, that shines on us. And I'm going to read this from, uh, from Keller. It says, Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christian message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There is a light outside this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. You know, again, he's not going to just shine the light from up here. He's going to come down to be with us and be the light.
Uh, any questions so far, comments, thoughts? Um, and now Jesus crashes into the world. Um, we look at, at Matthew at the arrival of Jesus. And if we read Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 23, um, the story of Jesus' birth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sons. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, as did the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um... So his birth, Jesus' birth, fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. It says that he'll be Emmanuel, God with us. Again, not God up here, but God with us. Um, and uh, the announcement is very clear. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to help us along the way, to help us overcome uh, the darkness. You know, Jesus kind of, you know, the graduate transfer that you get, the quarterback that you need, right, that's going to put your team over the top if you can just get him. He, he's not Jared Stidham. He's, um, you know, Jesus came to do it all. Um, I love this quote, uh, C.S. Lewis and Miracles. Um this is really a vivid picture uh, that, that really stuck out to me. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. Down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in time the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life. Down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. It kind of has that picture of in Jonah when he goes down to Shield, just down to that very bottom seabed. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world back up with him. And this is the picture I love. It says, uh, one may think of a diver. You know, if any of y'all have ever, you know, taken a dive and tried to go to the bottom of the lake, you know, to get something, or just for fun when you're a kid, you know, you'd do it all the time and swim down to the bottom of the lake, try to pick up a rock or something. Uh... One may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. Um, you know, that sounds really painful. It sounds kind of awful to think about, yeah, you know, not having the breath and just barely being able to get back down there and get back up. But, you know, Jesus came crashing into this earth, um, uh, naked. Um, he, uh, was a baby. He knew fear. He knew, um, um, he knew heartache. Um, he, uh, was, uh, 
forsaken by God on the cross, right? And um, he he experienced death and the worst kind of death. Um, but he did it all to bring us back up with him. Um, or better yet, and I'll get to in Revelation, to be with us in the end, to save us. Um, and in that closing, Revelation, you know, I have thought for the longest time... Um, <laughs> which really kind of exposes my lack of knowledge. I always thought that when we died, we'd just go up to heaven and there was this place up in heaven that we would all go up to, right? That somehow it would reverse. God would come up and maybe there'd be a second arrow. Then I'd go back up with him and get beamed up. And uh, then I did something radical, which is I read the Bible. Um, <laughs> and uh, it turns out that my uh, the way I viewed things was, was completely incorrect. Um, in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, um, uh, the word says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Um, so at the end of it, you know, when we're talking to our children, um, God, uh, we needed to be saved. We were in the darkness, totally lost, totally incapable of saving ourselves. Um, we have black hearts. We're sinners. Uh, there's evil and suffering in this world. God came down and saved us on this magnificent rescue mission. He came down. He sent Jesus to save us. And, you know, Jesus now has left, but he gave us his Holy Spirit. Uh, God is always with us. He pursues us. He knows our thoughts. He's with us every single day. Um, you know, when you're, uh, when you're talking to your children, you know, he's with you when you go to Mother's Day out. He's with you um, when you have to stay home with the babysitter and you're not happy. He's with you uh, for high schoolers when the phone's not ringing, right? And no one's, or no one's tagging you on Instagram or you're just feeling like a total loser, you know. Uh, God's with you. He loves you. Uh, he pursues you. Um, and he will come again. He will come again and he will dwell with us um, in the new earth, and new heaven and the new earth. Um, and I think, um, you know, just one thing I'd say in closing, I think it's um, it's so important to, um, Fran put this together actually, you know, that God pursues us when we're hiding, when we're undeserving, when we reject him, when we doubt him, um, you know, time and time again he pursues us. And um, I think it's so important as parents that um, we uh, take inventory and know uh, where we've been when God's pursued us, right? Um, that we take inventory and recognize that we are, you know, two broken sinners, um, and that we needed to be saved, that we were in the darkness, you know, whether that's a, um, you know, I don't know what that is in your life. Um, but you know, we know that God has pursued us. We know he's been faithful to us. And what a thought to be able to talk with your children about that. Uh, when they get to the age where you feel, and every child's different, uh, but to be able to talk to your child about when God came and saved you. You know, those moments in your life where he's pursued you. Um, 
and how you didn't deserve it, <laughs> how you didn't do. I mean, I look at it in my life. It was precisely in the moments when like I least deserved it, like when I was doing the very worst things. Uh, he came crashing down into me. And so I think when we can share that with our children, uh, that serves a really good foundation uh, for conversations about this. Um, but uh, let me see. I think, I don't know what time it is. I finished with time for plenty of questions and thoughts. And so what I wanted to do was, um, so my I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Uh, neither one of them are very verbal. They certainly don't understand a word I say. Um, uh, I was going to open it up maybe for a conversation maybe about anyone who has children that you're having these type conversations with. And it can be like on the most practical level. Um, you know, any conversations you might be having with your children about Christmas, about Jesus coming down to us. Um, I, I would really appreciate anyone jumping in. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And I probably, you know, made up some of it. But, <laughs> but anyways, uh, like the same thing happened with Reese. He keeps asking about like why, why are we in this present? Um, anyway, so it's kind of opened up a few dialogues. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. A few years ago, Heidi, when she did the Christ in the Christmas Punch, they would give her kind of something we see as a secular image. And I think she did one on the candy cane. Okay. So I think if you go back and look through the years, um, there's some symbols like that, like the little drummer boy or something like that. That I mean, that might be. Anyone who, I only went to a few of those when she did it. Anyone who was around, I do know, I think that there are some things like that on the Advent. I know I went to one where she did one on the 12 days of Christmas, which is like straight from the Bible. Um, and it was a really interesting one that I would commend to everyone, like what the symbolism of each of those things mean. You know the book I love too, you can read it for a long time, uh, is The Runaway Money. Those of you that have been in the movie, that, that, that relentless pursuit, that mama went everywhere that money went. Mm. And it's such a beautiful spiritual analogy. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I mean, Turner is three and a half, and so these conversations are very simple. But the other day <clears throat> in bed, something came up about just, you know, what happened with Jesus and coming and saving us. And I described it all to him, and I was like, this could be really heady, and he may have no idea what I'm talking about. And it is kind of crazy to describe a man coming and dying on a cross. And I just told him, and he was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, you just sometimes I feel like I can make it overly complicated in my mm-hmm. head and just telling it in that childlike space. I mean, it's an encouragement for me and for him that even though he's going to have a lot of questions later and it's going to get more complicated, that it's okay right now to just tell what it is. And there's a good chance that right now, that childlike space, he, he's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had like a very animated conversation with Drennan the other day about this, and I, I got real excited, like I do when you're trying to kind of pump your kid up to do something. You know, like, we're going to the zoo. I was like, Jesus is coming. He saved us. And he, Drennan, when I got done, like, asked me for his milk. Um, and so, you know, but, but I do like what you said. You know, we don't know, and it's, this is 
one of these weird things that I like to think about that's super cool. Like where where in my life was the Holy Spirit working on me that I didn't know? And and we don't know when that's happening with a toddler hearing something, what's being pressed on their heart. Um, we know that God is uh, all-powerful, almighty, and that we don't understand his ways. So who knows how a conversation like that might resonate with a child and, and start building them up. How do people in this room talk about Santa Claus coming down? About how that, I mean, he, he comes down, he brings, he brings you presents, right? If you're good, right? Only if you're good. If you do this, you can get up to Santa. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Emily, you you uh, thanks for sharing that. We we struggle with Santa in our house, and um, we so one of the things that we've talked about is I don't want Santa to be something someone for whom we perform. So we've talked about you know that Santa gives us gifts because he loves us and it reminds us of of the gift that we were given at Christmas and we talk about Jesus. But what was particularly funny is of course you know in the culture they hear all the time we better be good. And I didn't think that any of this was resonating with my oldest. This was a couple of years ago. He was probably four or five, and seven now. But, you know, I had said that, you know, we, we, we try to be good because that's what God calls us to do. And, and if we love him, then we try to serve him. And, and you know. Anyway, so we're in the checkout line, and um, he was misbehaving. And I, um, you know, asked him to, to stop. And the lady behind me said, um, you better be good. Santa's watching. And I'm sure she was, you know, totally trying to be helpful. She turns around with all the authority of a five-year-old. Santa does not bring me gifts because I'm good. He gives me grace and brings me gifts because he loves me. Which is which is a total shock to the culture. Like seriously, if you're not thinking of this, that that person right now thinks you have the most spoiled child in America. Um, but but again, it's counter you know it's counterintuitive to this picture, right? She expects this, and the gospel gives us that. This is a total cop out way to And Ryan Griffin's not here. I'm get Ryan employed, but I thought it was so smart just because it was so he just what it was not it was more like the questions of like. How does he get down the chimney? How does he do this or that? And Ryan would always say, his response was, yeah, I don't really know that much about Santa. Like, I don't know Santa. I know Jesus. I can tell you some stuff about Jesus. But, I don't, you know, Santa and I, we're not, we don't have a close relationship. So, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. You know. 
No, I was going to say that, um, yeah, instead of trying to scare them, you know, G uh, Santa's always watching you to remind them that Emmanuel means God with us. Mm. And so like the candy cane or the wreath, when they hear that word Emmanuel throughout the holiday season, they can remember God is with us. And they might think it's cool that, like, they know the meaning of a big word. Mm -hmm. I think kind of giving them that little nugget of wisdom is something that they might like to hang on to themselves. It's, yeah, it's that, funny, yesterday there were a few girls that ended up at my house and they were sitting around having whatever they could find in the kitchen, but they were talking about Santa as watching. They were be, being wild and they said, yeah, Jane, talking to my two-year-olds, they think they know it all. Jane, Santa's watching and then one of the girls, I don't know if it was mine or somebody else, said, but God is watching and then somebody else said, it's just fun to hear what they have to say, but God is always with us. Jane, God is here. And, you know, oh. it was just neat. That's just, awesome. Just sometimes just to let them talk it out. You know, yeah. instead of us say, but, you know, this is the answer, let them kind of just, just wrestle with it a little bit and talk it out. Yeah, you know? I really like that and that's probably something I, uh, you know, I'm glad that you brought it out, friend, and that y'all brought it out as, you know, yes, he comes down. That's the direction, but then he is with us and kind of letting him sit in that. You know, he's with us so that when he when we do run away, you know, he pursues us, but he's always with us. I think that's a great point. Were, were you, do I have some? Oh, um, well, my kids, we have them in various states. There's one that knows that there's no Santa, which is sad, but then we have others that are still believing. Um, and... <laughs> it was all one weekend. We did the advent for the fifth grade talk, and we just outed them the whole weekend. Anyway, so um, just bad weekend. But anyway, um, they always ask me, well, why is Santa bring us gifts on Jesus' birthday? And so I thought about it, and I was like, well, it's they're representing the wise men. The wise men brought Jesus gifts, and Santa is bringing y'all presents to to celebrate Jesus just like the wise men came mm. and gave gifts. So I tried to tie it into that so that they were like, okay, so I'm not getting the world, I'm getting three things. And so we try to like give them just like something little from Santa that it sits out and then tie it back into, you know, the wise men giving, bringing him and honoring Jesus. That's great. Sarah? I felt really lied to as a kid because my parents, I mean, at 10, they were like, Santa's real. I mean, we're still not allowed to talk about Santa. I knew at like, eight, I was like, I know this guy's not real. We buy for poor kids. Like, why? I mean, that didn't make sense. <laughs> Anyways, but they just lied to me. I knew they were lying to me. So not that I'm that parent that tells my four-year-old, like, Santa's real. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to lie to him when he truly comes to me and asks about it. And I'm also, but I'm very um, pointed lately, we're really into superheroes, and we'll read a superhero book, and he gets onto it asking questions, and I'm like, I don't know, and then I say, you know this isn't real, right? Like, I'm total buzzkill, but <laughs> but I want him to know that the Bible, Jonah's real, yeah. Jesus is real, you know, the Flash, not real, like, we're, I'm just really big on delineating, like, what is history, what actually happened, and what is fantasy, and this is just fun, you know? Yeah. Sir, you don't have a really good word on that one time which was, I thought, was, no, you don't want to lie to your kids. Right. Because you do, you blow your credibility. But with Santa or with going to Disney World, sometimes your kids are going to let you know, I would like to suspend my disbelief right now and participate in that. <laughs> and it's, it's perfectly okay to participate, engage in that magic with them when they're making the choice to do so. Okay. And, and, and he was even saying, most kids will stop believing in Santa well before they'll tell you that. And they've made a conscious choice 
or subconscious voice. Like, I want to keep participating in the magic, and that's okay. Uh, Keller talks about in his book about about the magic, about about these type of stories, and uh, C.S. Lewis says something similar that they all point right to the great story. And so, um, you know, all the stories. All, and Keller said, and I had to reread this a couple times, but he said that all the fairy tales will, in some sense or another, they are they all will ultimately become true, right? We we will. We're we're lost. We're the you know damsel in distress or whatever it is, and we're gonna get saved, um, and we're gonna live forever in total um, uh, in, in a perfect place uh, with infinite joy and, and peace and love, and, and it'll be awesome. So that's all I have. I think we're out of time. So um, remember this: draw it out for your kids. All right. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.